0: Our scripture reading for today is from Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who has covetous, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Join me in prayer. Father God, holy and most high, full of light without any shadow of darkness, empower us to walk worthy of our calling in Christ. Illuminate your word through the preaching this morning. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Please open your scriptures to Ephesians 5. We've been going through Ephesians uh, ever since September, uh, except for the break around the holidays. And this is naturally our next section. So we'll be going through uh, 14 verses this morning. Um, We remember where we've come from. And this is the next section. Uh, Interesting that that verb walk defines uh, much of the application in Ephesians. It'll be mentioned twice. ...in this portion this morning, and it is walk in love and it is walk in light. And when we are being conformed to the image of Christ, love and light will characterize us. Western worldview preaches personal pleasure and individual fulfillment as the meaning of life. And what those typically create, when we look for personal fulfillment and pleasure, those most often lead to lust and darkness, the exact opposite of walking in love and walking in light. And that's why you noticed several key words jump out this morning. Uh, in, in the midst of this list of sins, uh, you have this person, covetousness, uh, which is an idolater. And then you also have a seemingly weak application at a first read that all these sins are counteracted by thanksgiving. So those are some of the the questions, when we come to the text and we look at the scripture, uh, why is that there and why does that matter? Uh, numerous statues of Artemis have been found in Ephesus in excavations as they were digging up the city in, uh, in Ephesus. Um, Ephesians had numerous cults, numerous religions, but the most popular and The one that most people followed was Artemis, or according to the Romans, Diana. Uh, Some of the statues that have been found, the lower half of her statue has lions, bulls, sphinxes, probably representing the animal world that she loved and was proclaimed to be the protector of. The upper half of her statue has objects portraying life, fertility, and nature. And this is what the Ephesians believed about Artemis. There were things like ostrich eggs, grapes, and acorns. She has two religious festivals surrounding her name that the Ephesians would take part in. The gospel through Paul was so effective. I want to read this portion out of Acts because this is sort of this historical context. The gospel was so effective that the silversmiths profiting from graven images of Artemis uh, were no longer being bought. Listen to the reaction in Acts 19. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This is the way is what it was called when people followed Jesus. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together, the other craftsmen, with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That seems like a world totally separated from our world and our cities. But if you think about it, Ephesus was not totally unlike Miami, or Paris, or Amsterdam, or Las Vegas, or Denver. And the rituals surrounding the gods that we worship happen every Friday and Saturday evening. Religious festivals, if you would, worshipping something or someone that the Western world preaches to us we ought to follow. And every week we are sold the same lie that the, the serpent whispered into Eve's ear, and that is, there is pleasure in taking what is forbidden. Every week, again this week, we will hear that hiss in our ear that somehow... Taking what is forbidden will satisfy. And here's the danger. Here's the lie. They say the most effective lie is that which contains the most truth. Is there pleasure in sin? Yes. Or it wouldn't be enticing. It wouldn't be attractive. But the pleasure is short and the cost is extremely high. Forbidden things never fully satisfy That's the power of deception. The power of deception is in its potential to satisfy. But once you get on the other side of that, you realize that the actuality of it is not the satisfaction you thought it would give you. This is what salvation does. In a parallel passage to Ephesians 4 that we considered several weeks ago, Colossians 3.10 says this, Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. So when we image our creator, we will walk in love and we will walk in light. Look at Ephesians chapter five. There's a positive and a negative command to walking in love. Really, that's the two points this morning. Walk in love and walk in light. Look at verse one again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you know that children who are loved by their fathers, particularly it seems, and they feel secure in him, want to imitate him? I have seen my children try to wear my shoes when they were really little around the house. and Many of you dads have seen the same thing. And there's a type of imitation in that. They want to be like dad. They want to walk like dad. Added together, my children have been under my love and protection for a combined 121 years. Interesting little math fact. You feel older when you do that. So I'm not recommending you add up all your children's ages right now, but 121 years under my influence. And I silently observe when they imitate my strengths. I'm flattered when they imitate my mannerisms and odd behavior. I love seeing their passion for life. And I grieve when they imitate my weaknesses and failures. You ever do that as a parent? You're like, that is not just peculiar to them. They're imitating me. In this passage, we're, we're told to imitate someone as beloved children. It's an interesting word in classical Greek. The adjective for beloved, if you see that right there, as beloved children, referred to an only child. And that meant that that child received all of the love and the security that a parent could give to them. It wasn't divided. It wasn't split among six or among three. They got all the attention of the father. And because he received so much love, he had the security and contentment of being the object of love. You know, that's the same term that it uses for Jesus when it calls him the only son of God. But what's interesting is that word beloved only is not just referencing Jesus. It also now carries over to Christians because we are also beloved in an only sense because we are in Christ. Imitate God as contented, as secure, as loved children. Imitate him. And what does that look like? and walk in love and don't miss this christ handed himself over as the offering and sacrifice that would fulfill all the offerings if you look at that verse that he gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god pause there and think that jesus before he was crucified would read isaiah 52 and 53 he would read those harsh descriptions of the suffering servant that his face was going to be his body was going to be so marred beyond human recognition, and he knew that he was the fulfillment of that. He would read Leviticus twenty three and understand that his death, his sacrificial death, would be the fulfillment of all the Levitical offerings. No wonder Hebrews nine twenty six says this. For then, if it was like the bulls and the goats that were offered, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But see, he's not like those sacrifices. He, the writer of Hebrews continues, But as it is, he has appeared once for all, definitive and final, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. No wonder John says it this way in John fifteen thirteen: Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us, even while we were sinners, even when we were Enemies. So when we are told to imitate our father as beloved children, that's the kind of love that should define us when we gather as a church. We imitate God by walking in love, by letting our behavior look like this kind of love. But when we imitate the love of Christ, we will also abstain from certain practices. Look at verse 3. Because you can't separate these ideas. Imitate God. Okay, What does that look like? Walk in love. And when you are truly loving, look at verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. You feel that shift? (laughs) It's abrupt. It's intended to be abrupt. It's intended to be startling from Christ's self-giving nature as a sweet smelling sacrifice and a beautiful fragrance. There's an abrupt shift now to the immoralist's self-indulgence his greed something he is he, he's actually willing to exploit other people to satisfy himself jesus said in matthew 24:12 because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold verse 3 describes the culture we are immersed in a 2017 huffington post article stated this Porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. At least 30% of all data transferred across the Internet is porn-related. We live in a lawless culture where the love, true love, of many is growing cold. And here's what we often forget. We can just read a statistic and sort of stand in a pulpit and shout at the devil but i want i want this burst i want this section to be helpful to us we're not just here to heap shame upon one another what we often forget is the porn industry industry is supplying what society is demanding and that's why it receives that incredible shocking traffic every day every month it is a social poison destroying relationships eroding compassion, breeding violence, and twisting genuine self-sacrificing love verse 1 and 2 into greedy self-satisfying lust This this is what these kinds of sins do and by the way God is not against his gift of sex and that is not a dirty word, the fact that it seems shocking in this setting, maybe because we've been too silent about it and we haven't put it forward as the good gift that God created it to be. But God is not pleased when His beautiful gift is abused. When His beautiful gift is abused, people are hurt rather than helped. They become greedy rather than find true satisfaction in God. They become enslaved rather than freed. And if the statistics are right, even in a church setting, there are people here this morning who are enslaved. People will try to control others for their own pleasure rather than serve others for God's pleasure. Look back at Ephesians 4.19. This list has already been put forward in this little letter to the Ephesians. Look back at uh, 4.19. It says they have become callous. He's talking about the pagans. He's talking about unbelievers. When you, when you hear Gentiles, you can now just insert average American, because okay? Gentile doesn't really make sense to us anymore. The average American has become callous, unfeeling, numb, and had given themselves up. That, that is a phrase of surrender. They have surrendered themselves. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy. Note that word comes out again. It's covetousness in, in chapter 5 to practice every kind of impurity. Go back to chapter 5, verse 3. Sexual immorality, it is one Greek word, and it'll sound familiar. It is porne, from which we get our word, porn or pornography. And it refers to those two words, those two English words, sexual immorality, refer to any and all sexual activity outside of marriage, even if it is between two consenting adults. Paul understood that was the force of that word in that description when he wrote this letter to people living in the city of Ephesus. The next word, impurity, is a broader word that includes lust, which is a strong desire that controls the mind. That's where it begins. And then covetousness is unrestrained desire for more. That is where the addictive nature of these sins comes into play. We need to remind ourselves and one another and speak this truth to each other, James 1:17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. He has given us good gifts to enjoy. He has designed this particular enjoyment to be found. To have, so that we would find delight in it within certain parameters you know our pornified culture harms in three ways it harms individually there's a compulsion there are there are there are thinking and mind disorders there are health outcomes that are negative there are body image concerns as well as distorted sexual attitudes and behaviors individually it harms and destroys Just because it is a secret and nobody knows about it doesn't mean it is not inflicting incredible corrosive damage. But then relationally, and this is the part that we can't hide, because it's not just something an individual chooses to do, it also affects relationships. And that makes sense because if someone is continually objectifying rather than relating, they will have difficulty creating intimacy in any relationship because their pattern has been to objectify rather than to relate and love. And then societally, evidence has validated the ties of porn to global issues such as sexual violence and human sex trafficking. So we can read through verse 3 quickly and sort of skip over it and get to the parts that we find less, less uncomfortable. But Paul knew when he chose these three descriptions, it was a, it was a blanket description of what was defining that culture look at verse 4 because the matter begins in the heart not with the actions so he continues let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving you know our thoughts and our actions are a lot closer together than we think and that's why you have this list of outward manifestations But then he says, let it not even be talked about. Interesting, that connection. And no wonder in Ephesians 4.23 we are told to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is a heart problem. Jesus said this to the religious leaders who looked all clean and all holy in their robes and all religious. he, He calls them vipers and he says, for out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Do You know that your heart is like a treasure box. And to find out what somebody is thinking or how somebody is interacting, you just have to let them open the treasure box. And that treasure lid is the mouth. Jesus goes on and he says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why? Because your words reveal your heart. The three sins for speech here don't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. I want you to look at them. Filthiness. That's obscene talk. Ugliness. Deformity. Something that is dishonoring. Something that is disgraceful. Foolish talk is simply the speech of a fool. It's empty. It's speculative. It carries no weight. It offers no help. Crude joking. This isn't the the funny sarcasm that many of us enjoy and inflict on others sometimes. There's a a place for good sarcasm. But this crude joking is something that is easily turned crass. Things that are inappropriate. Hurtful sarcasm. Regular speech, always being turned dark by by innuendo or double entendre. These are the things because when you start to get comfortable talking about them, not only does it reveal what is going on in your heart, but when you get comfortable talking about them, what will soon follow? Acting upon it. Look at verse 4 for the replacement. This is what is so shocking to me about this particular text. But instead, let there be what? Go ahead and say it. But instead let there be what? Thanksgiving. It is striking and beautiful that that is the replacement. You know why? Thanksgiving forces our attention on God. It forces our int- our attention on his character, on his promises, on his gifts, on his grace, on his desires. Thanksgiving is God-centered. You know, discontentment and complaining can't coexist with Thanksgiving. Do you know also that lust and fornication and immorality cannot exist with Thanksgiving? In light of this unexpected application, I find it interesting that Sunday is the most popular day of the week for viewing porn. The very day God created and gifted to us. For spiritual and physical rest is the day that has the most porn users. I didn't expect this either. Thanksgiving Day is the most popular day of the year for viewing porn. Thanksgiving doesn't seem an appropriate substitute or a powerful enough replacement for all the sins that, that Paul just sort of called out. But it is The proper antidote for self-centeredness, for selfishness, for self-gratification. But let there be thanksgiving. Listen to the connection between purity and honor and greed in, in a passage in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Let me just read it. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And that is not happening in our culture. Hardly happening in our churches that, that marriage is being held in honor. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. That's a euphemism for sexual relations between a man and a woman. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Notice the next thing he says right after that. Keep your life free from the love of money. Wait, how do those two go together? Because you're being greedy. And if you're greedy about money, you'll be greedy about other people's body and how they can serve you. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Thanksgiving focuses our attention back on God. There's an interesting connection in Romans 1. When when Paul is explaining to the church at Rome this sort of three-tier degradation of human sinfulness, he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, listen to this next phrase, or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. There's that treasure box. There's that greed. There's that desire. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Go back to Ephesians 5. No wonder after all this list, three external actions... Three thoughts or words. Then he says, but let there be what? (laughs) Thanksgiving. Listen to Psalm 4, verses 7 and 8. And and we need to remind our own hearts about this truth. We need to remind one another. We need to remind our children that God is all satisfying and all glorious to your heart. He can be. Listen to Psalm 4. You have put more joy in my heart Then they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Is that true? Are you finding that kind of delight in God? Because if not, you've left your heart open. And along comes the lie that forbidden things will satisfy that openness. Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life, in your presence there is, listen to this description, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are you finding fullness of joy and everlasting pleasure in God? Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. See, delight has an object. Delight yourself in the Lord and listen to what the effect is. And he will give you the desires of your heart problem is we reverse those we try to we try to satisfy the desires of our heart before it's focused on god and we find out that they spoil and they and they're ruined delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart paul now adds a motivation look at verse five to this but be thankful look at verse five for you may be sure of this That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, uh, covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now he's going to restate the motivation. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you, because what he just said is narrow and hard. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what things? Verse 3, verse 4. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do You know, in our culture, our culture has preachers that they, they preach Friday night. They preach Monday morning. They're unashamed of their message. They're not worried about their churches closing or becoming unpopular because theirs is a popular message. Paul is going to warn us. Don't let anyone deceive you. See, we don't mind just being excluded as long as there's not Judgment. Annihilation is okay. Just let me die and go off into nothingness. Just don't hold me accountable for eternity. The force of the text is clear that those who habitually live in unrepentant immorality, impurity, or sexual greed, this is not the occasional episode that is repented of because the Holy Spirit has given conviction Or or even the one who isn't trapped as a believer, Galatians 6, chapter 1, leaves room for that, who seeks help or or is, is miserable in that. But it's the unrepentant, immorality, impurity, or sexual greed because they are devoted to their own will and desires instead of God's. Our culture of pluralism and tolerance will tell you there is no judgment, there are no consequences. Let me, let me, we're going to bring that section to a close. Let me ask you this question. Does the command to not even live with a hint of this in your life challenge you in any way? And if so, what is our response? If God exposes, because He is light, and He exposes this darkness, and He looks at the contours of our heart and our life and our choices, even in the past 24 hours, And the light shines. What is our response? Look at verse 7. Walk in love. And now he moves and he says, therefore, he's going to say walk in the light. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light. The idea here, the partnership, is the idea of business partners or a legal binding. It's a very close relationship. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 16 says this, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. We don't use that term about being yoked. Uh, The idea was that yoke that they would put oxen in or other animals. There was actually a law that... That for bad, you putting an ox together with a donkey. That's the unequal picture of being yoked together. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 22, verses 9, he says, You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited. The crop that you have sown, the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Okay, why? Because it looks ridiculous. No, why? There's, There's a purpose for that command. Because someone's going to get injured, and it's probably going to be who? The poor little donkey, right? Because the ox is stronger, and it's, it's not even going to sit properly on them. So there's a law. So Paul says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This doesn't mean you can't share life with them. It doesn't mean you can't be salt and light with them. It doesn't mean you can't go out to dinner with them. But it does mean you're not going to have such a close relationship with them That their darkness now begins to shape your life. Or that it looks like you're condoning these behaviors. He goes on. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? There's a specific situation of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Same church that he just said those things to, and he writes to them. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. The Apostle Paul writing to a church. And of a kind, listen to what he says, that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. The wording indicating that he's most, it's most likely his stepmother. Paul is shining the light on this church that has allowed darkness to come in And they're fellowshipping with it. They're condoning it. They're giving it a pass. And Paul has to say, you you have a type of sin that that is existing in there. That is not letting your light shine. So this is what he says. Ought you not rather to mourn? You are arrogant, he tells the church. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Why removed? because the light is being extinguished. There's a partnership there that is not saying the right thing about God. You know, the Christian call is always an invitation to live out what and who we are in Christ, and that is love and light, love sacrificially and holiness. Look at verse 8, and this really is sort of the key thought that drives this whole passage. For at at one time you were darkness, but now you are what? You are light in the Lord. Look at how that, that, that's phrased. It doesn't say you are lights like the Lord. Or it doesn't. it's not even a command that says you should shine as light because you are in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Because you are in Christ, you are light in the world. Because you are in Him, you naturally shine. You naturally expose darkness. Or you should. Look at the parenthetical description of life and light in verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Does that fruit define your life? Or perhaps do verses 3 and 4 define your life? Look at the command in verse 11. Well, he goes on in verse 10 and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Then he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is shameful. Now he's basically going to repeat from that command. He's going to repeat the motivation for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Right, Your life exposes darkness. Your light exposes darkness. Verse 14, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We understand the repetition. We're not, we're not going to unpack that again. He repeats the command. He repeats the motivation. But he ends with a quote from Isaiah 60, verse 1. Let me read that verse to you. Paul is referring to the glorious promise And he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Paul now makes connection to that Old Testament promise, that glorious promise to Christ's resurrection. And if we are in Christ, we shine as Christ. Unless we have allowed pagan behaviors to pull us back and allowed our life to be described by darkness. I want to conclude with drawing your attention to two verses that sort of are on either side of this passage. The one is in Ephesians 4 verse 30. I just want you to turn back there real quick. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The word for grief there is a strong word that expresses the sorrow that someone would have at a funeral. Do not make exceedingly sorrowful the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you believed, God gave to you His Holy Spirit. But that spirit can be grieved. Let me ask you, Has there ever been a time where you, you initially started down a path of sinful choices and God clearly and unmistakably prompted you? It almost sounded like... <clears throat> <clears throat> And you're like, yes, Lord. And it is a gift, and it's something you sense and you feel. The prompting conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you turn back. But when you ignore that prompting, and you choose to sin, or you choose to double-click, or you choose to keep looking, and you plan to do it tomorrow, and you plan to do it Tuesday, and you plan to do it Wednesday, and you no longer hear... It's possible as 1st Thessalonians says to quench the spirit. He's no longer active like a flame you've doused the spirit. Everyone every believer in here this morning either has a grieved or an ungrieved Holy Spirit within them. And here is what the Holy Spirit does, he prompts you. He directs you, he's like a coach, he steers you. He cheers you on. He can be pleased and he can be grieved. Look at the section right after this. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It's going to use the same verb. Look carefully then how you walk. Now look at verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. And, and that kind of, that kind of, makes, you kind of sound, makes it sound like you can have a little bit of the Holy Spirit or a lot of Holy Spirit. The idea really is not filling like you would fill a glass of water. It's the idea of control. It's that same word for filling is used of sails on ships. And when the wind comes along and fills that sail, it begins to move that ship. And it's a command. You walk in the Spirit. That's what he'll say in Galatians. Here it is, be filled. The idea is be controlled by Him. Don't grieve Him, but rather be controlled by Him. And Perhaps there is someone in here this morning whose life is defined by habitual Darkness. You can't even say no to it. You know, Paul knew what physical darkness was like. He knew what moral darkness was like. He knew what religious darkness was like. And it was on the road when he was going to persecute Christians that all of a sudden he was blinded physically because he saw who? He saw the bright light. And that bright light spoke. And that bright light exposed the darkness of Paul's religious heart. No wonder John describes Jesus this way in his gospel. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. In John 3, he goes on, he says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus says this in John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If all you know is darkness, go to the light. Jesus has died for you in your place for your sin, for your darkness. For your guilt, for your shame, for your evil choices, go to the light. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see a section of just helps and sermon notes. I want to draw in conclusion to one verse for believers. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Just listen to the fourfold promise. Your struggle is not unusual. Satan loves to isolate. He loves to think that we're the only one that struggles to this level or struggles this difficult. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And I love how he follows it up with the next promise. God is faithful. You know God is faithful even when you're not? And God forgives even when you're not faithful? Then the third promise, God will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And the reason for that is the fourth promise, when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. If you're a believer this morning, there's a way out. There's no struggle, there's no temptation that has enslaved you that God cannot open that door and release you from. Just as Galatians 6 gives, it's actually hope. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin... See, believers can be overcome. They can be enslaved. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful while you're helping not to fall into the same same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. I want to invite our music team forward. We're going to close by singing... Sovereign over us and in God's sovereignty and love. There is no temptation that we struggle with that is not common. God is faithful. He always is, always was, always will be. There is no temptation that has overcome you that is not common to man. But he is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle with his grace. And then finally, there is always a way out. But for some of you this morning, that way out is going to need the help of other people. You've been enslaved in it, and you've been enslaved so long, and that's where God has gifted you with brothers and sisters in Christ to take you by the hand, not to throw rocks at you, not to heap shame upon you, but to take you by the hand and help you out so you can again walk in Christ-like love for the benefit of others and walk in light and holiness so that we are salt and light in this dark, dark world. Let's pray.